Last week, Jeannie did an amazing job talking about and teaching on the power of our mouth and what, what we can do, the incredible influence we can have every day, positively and destructively, right? With our words, what we say and what we engage in. Uh, and so this weekend, what we're going to look at is our eyes and our hands and how can we leverage those for God to actually see things differently, to actually see things like we saw in Devin Keith's story, the way that God sees them. I think it's very important for us as we kind of go through this time uh, tonight to really look at the way we see things. That make sense? And I want to share with you tonight a prayer, a very, very, very simple prayer that I believe, honestly, if we took seriously and we took God seriously on this prayer, could have very real and significant implications for your life and for the, the city and the world around you. And so we're going to look at that prayer tonight and commit to praying that prayer together as a church this week. We're going to look at how we see things. And I think it's important that we consider that. And we don't spend a lot of time thinking about our perspective and our perception of things. There was a time about 20 years ago when that became a fad uh, of looking at things differently. And this dates me and the example I'm about to share with you. Some of you weren't even born when this was popular. But there was a time about 20 years ago when people would spend hours looking at something. And they would invite their friends over and they would have like parties and they would look at a picture together and they would meditate on it and dive in deep to it and try and find the meaning from this picture. I want to show you just one of these pictures right now. <laughs> Does anyone recognize who, what this is? Where's Waldo? All right, so good. So some of you at this point have completely checked out anything spiritual I'm going to say tonight and you are focused on this image alone. And this is all you want to get at. Just by show of hands, how many of you had at some point a Where's Waldo book? Or, holy smokes, it's more popular than the Bible. Okay. Okay. So we all kind of know the Where's Waldo thing. And people, isn't it true? I mean, we don't think about how we look at things, but we spent hours looking at these things. Now you have to remember, this is back in the 90s before we had the internet and reality TV and all kinds of other things. So we just looked at books, these crazy things called books. <laughs> And pictures, and we would spend hours and hours looking for this one guy and all these scenarios. This one guy that we didn't know the backstory of Waldo. Why was he lost? Why, why were we looking for him? And the reality is, once you found him, you didn't get anything for finding him. You just found him, moved on to the next picture. It's not like anyone called you and said, thank you, you found my son, Waldo. We've been looking for him forever. And so what's crazy now is sort of now we're in this age over this last couple of years where we found folks that we've been looking for for a long time. So, you know, to find Saddam, we found Osama. It looks like we're going to find Gaddafi. And the crazy thing is with Waldo, finally after all these years, we found him. And I want you to see, he has been hiding out. We got him, folks. He doesn't look as good as he used to look, but we got him. And so that's another one you can check off if you want to. We got Waldo and you can sleep a little bit safer tonight. So at the same time as the Waldo stuff was going on, there was another, at the exact same time, it wasn't a book, but it was posters that people were obsessed with that they would stare with for hours. So I want to put that up and see if, does anyone know what this is? Magic Eye. All right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know. Okay. So Magic Eye is, again, some of you weren't born and this came out, this technology, this amazing paper technology, but you would look at this picture and the key was you had to sort of like cross your eyes a little bit to like see it and you'd have to bring it really close to your nose. It was very, 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 like I don't know why we spent so many hours doing this and I just want to ask, because we're in church and by way of confession, anyone ever lie about seeing the picture when you didn't really see it? 
Yeah, it wasn't really hard to do because all you had to say was, oh, it's a dolphin eagle tiger. Like, it, could, it really, there wasn't a lot of variety in what these things were, but you'd spend hours and hours looking at them. And again, the whole point is that we would spend hours trying to find, get a perspective that matched what we were looking at. And we could all sort of look at it from different angles, but we were trying to see and trying to focus in on the same thing. And so there's been lots of optical sort of illusions. I want to show you one that maybe you've seen before. And first, what do you see when you see this picture? So when you look close, you see it, it's not two old people looking at each other. It's a guitarist and someone listening to the person play guitar. And it's a much bigger picture than you might see. So like at first glance, you think you see this. But then the closer you look, you realize there's something else going on. Let me show you another picture uh, to help gain perspective. Has anyone seen the work of this? There's several, but amazing 3D chalk artists. Okay, this is chalk, like the stuff you used to play with as a kid. And this person and several other artists, what you're looking at there is completely flat. He works in dimension in such a perspective that it looks as though there are 3D things right in front of you, but if you were to stand, you just see it sort of right underneath you. You can stand right on top of it. It's amazing. There's lots of these you can find on the internet. And then there's one more I want to show you that's a pretty powerful optical illusion. You need to stare really close at it. I found this on someone's blog, and it's a joke. But the best part of the joke was the response that people gave to him. Because there's nothing special about this optical illusion. This person just wrote, this is an optical illusion. Do you see it? But the comments on his blog were amazing. Because people going, I think it's a cross, but I'm not sure. Is it a cross? I'm not sure if I'm looking at it the right way. And he's like, it's a cross. It's just fun with fonts. So the point is, we can look at things very, very, very differently. We have all kinds of different perspectives. And what's amazing is, we can all gather around the exact same thing, be looking at the exact same thing, and have totally different perspectives. There's a couple hundred people in this room right now. We can stare at the exact same image and see something totally different based on our life experiences, based on our own just physical proximity or perspective, based on our own opinions, based on what we're actually looking for. It's amazing, isn't it, that you can look at the exact same thing as the person sitting next to you but see something totally different. And what's even more amazing is the more you dive into it is not only can you see something different from the person next to you, but you can be looking at something and see something completely different than what God sees. And what we want to do, and we're committed to do here as a church, is to see what God sees. To see what God sees. And so I want to put a couple more pictures up on the screen for you, and I want you to think about what you see when you see these images. Let's put the next one up. This is our great city of Chicago. We love our city. This is a great city. But what do you see when you see the city? When you think about this city, what is your perspective? What is your opinion? Where do you come from when you look at it? Many people, many, many people, see the city simply as a means to their own end. The city is here for me because it's where the best restaurants are, the best jobs are, if you can find one. There's great schools here. This is where a lot of people are. This is where a lot of single people are. And so we tend to see the city only as a means to our own end. And the lens we see it through is how it serves us. And that's, if, that's every one of us, at some level, sees the city as a means to our own end. And, and the longer we do that, the more and more we begin to miss, and the greater opportunity we have to miss what God sees when he looks at our city, this great city of Chicago. Let me show you another picture. What do you see when you see someone who's been overlooked, under-resourced in our city? Someone who maybe is selling streetwise in front of the restaurant you're trying to get into. Someone who walks up to you at an intersection, a stoplight, and is asking for money. What do you see? It's the same person as everyone else around you. But what do you see when you see someone who's 
in very real need. I'm going to show you another picture. This is of Brown Elementary School, which is a school we are privileged to be partnered with here in the city. And we've partnered with Brown to do the Christmas store, which many of you were involved in this last Christmas. And we did the art gallery here at Soul City Church for all the students in Brown Elementary. And we just recently, two weeks ago, did the back-to-school drive where you, many, many of you, gave of your resources, gave of your time, filled backpacks, and served that school to help these kids get a great start. It was an amazing weekend. In fact, we just got an email this afternoon from one of the moms of one of the students at Brown Elementary just saying, very simply, thank you so much. You have no idea what your gift means to my child. That's a very, very small thing, right? That we, had, we played a very small role, but it has a very real impact. What do you see when you look at this school or the schools in the city? What's amazing about Brown Elementary is it sits just a few blocks away from here. In fact, it sits exactly at the northeast corner of a parking lot for the United Center. And so thousands of people, literally thousands of people, every week park right across the street from this school. And yet for some reason, it's one of the most under-resourced schools in this entire area, this entire west side. And for those of us who've been there, you know how in need this school is. And we are so grateful for Principal Kenya Sadler and the way that her and her team are leading and giving their lives to these kids and these families. That's why it's our privilege to partner with them. But what do you see when you see the schools in our city, the children who are suffering for a good education, the reality that in our city, the longer you stay in Chicago public schools, the less chance you have of actually graduating? What do you see? Or do you see it at all? Let me show you one more picture. See if you can recognize this war-torn space. Does anyone know where this battle-damaged room is? Anyone? It's here, yeah. It's our lobby. And this was exactly a year ago. We took this picture exactly a year ago. In fact, Dick, you're right there. You're in that picture. You're famous now. Exactly a year ago, this is where our church was at. And there was a handful of us, a number of us, who looked at this messed-up, dirty space, this kind of run-down, overrun space, and who saw something different in it. It used to be a car dealership, and it was a photography studio. It was a uh, printing press place for a while. But when we walked into this space, there were a handful of us who said, you know what, no, 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 we see redemptive potential in this space. We see God at work in this space. We see a church in this space, on this corner, in this neighborhood, for this city and for God. And some of you were there over this last year as we worked and worked and worked to see what God sees for this church in this neighborhood. And some of you literally just came for the first time tonight, and you're probably glad we cleaned up since then. (laughs) You should be. There's a lot of cables hanging around. What do you see when you look at the world, when you look at the city, when you look at your job, your relationships? Is it what God sees? I find, at least this is true for me, maybe this is true for you, I find so often it is hard for me to see the world, my world, the way God sees it, because I'm blinded by my own vision of it. Let me say that again. Sometimes it's hard for me to see the world the way that God sees it because I'm blinded by my own limited vision and perspective of it. Is that true of you? It's hard sometimes to understand the bigger picture of what's going on because all you can sort of see is what's right in front of you. And you're trying to put the pieces together and make sense of it. And so often we miss what God sees because we're blinded by only what we see, by what's right in front of us. 
What do you think might be different if you were to actually ask God about like, having his eyes to see what he might see? What do you think might be different about the way that you interact with the city, with your friends, with your coworkers, if you saw them the way that God sees them? Do you think it might have some effect on the way you go about your day? Do you think it might have some effect on the way you go about your life? If you were to actually see things the way that God does? I think it might have some effect on the big questions of life that we all ask about what are we supposed to do and what's the next step and how do I make a difference and do something significant with my life? We all ask those questions. Do you think seeing things the way that God sees them might make a difference? Well, thankfully for us, God loves to allow us to see the world the way that he does. In fact, is inviting us to see the world the way that he does, to not be blinded by our own limited perspective, but to see things, to see the world the way that God does. And there are countless stories throughout the Bible of people who actually are invited in by God to see things differently, to see things the way that he sees them. And so we're going to look at one of those tonight. It's one of the most famous ones. It's found in Acts chapter 9. So uh, I always say if you have a Bible, but you have a Bible right in front of you. Uh, It's right in front of your seat there. It's the blue Bible. So uh, let me say it differently. As you have a Bible, uh, if you would open it up, please, to Acts chapter 9. This is page 1012 in the blue Bible, 1012. We're going to look at the story of a guy named Saul whose name becomes Paul. And so I might call him Saul. Sometimes I might call him Paul, but you'll kind of know the difference because they sound the same. We're going to look at the story of this person who was blinded by his own limited perspective of the world. And God lovingly allowed and invited him to see the world the way that God sees it. And the way that Paul, Saul, responds to it, I think, gives us something to grow on tonight, right? A way for us to be transformed tonight. And so we're going to dive into Acts chapter 9. Let me give you just a tad bit of context. This may be familiar to some of you. It may not be to others. Uh, This guy Saul uh, was coming right around the start of the very first church. So the very first church had just gotten off the ground. So it was just starting to move. Jesus Christ had come. He had raised up disciples. He had given his life on a cross, was resurrected by God, and had ascended into heaven. And shortly thereafter, the Holy Spirit comes and the church is born. The church is born. And we are here today because of that moment, that reality. We are here as a church today because of what God did there on a day called Pentecost. And so the church is now not only born, it's growing fast. The text tells us earlier in Acts that thousands of people a day are coming to know God. Thousands of people a day. So megachurch is not a new idea. It was going on like the first church. All right, it was a megachurch. Well, then comes Saul onto the scene. And Saul is a very... Uh, religious zealot. He was very passionate about his Jewish faith, about the faith that he had been raised in and many of the disciples of Jesus had been raised with. And he saw Christianity, the way of Jesus, as a threat. And so he was on a mission to literally wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. He was a young, influential leader that was rising in the ranks among the religious elite of that day. And the way he was doing it was by literally killing Christians, executing Christians, making a mockery of this new way of living with Jesus, wiping them off the face of the earth. The church had barely been born, and already someone was trying to snuff it out, to kill it. And I know when we started this church uh, a little less than a year ago, we had some, like, permitting obstacles that we had to get through the city, but as far as I can remember, no one was trying to kill us in the process. So imagine gathering together with the thought that someone could break in any moment and kill you. Because of what you believe. That was the reality of who Saul is. And so he's going to a city called Damascus where he's going to go 
kill some Christians. At this point, I think it's like a sport to him. So he's going to go kill some Christians, and that's where we find him in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. So let's read there together. Meanwhile, Saul, which is his name at this point, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. That's a good way to start a story, right? He was breathing out murderous threats towards the Lord's disciples. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now this is a very significant moment. Saul is on his way to kill Christians and is stopped and there's a blinding light that literally throws him off his horse to his knees and he's confronted. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Look at his response in verse 5. Who are you, Lord? So he already recognizes that this is a pretty significant deal. When there's a blinding white light and a voice comes from heaven, it's, you can use, it's safe to assume it's the Lord. So he says, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And this is the response. Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Let me just pause real quick there. This is very, very, very significant. Now Jesus has already ascended into heaven. But do you see who Jesus um, is telling Saul that he is? Every person that you are punishing, imprisoning, and ultimately murdering, Saul, that's me. He aligns himself, his presence, with the church. That's very significant. So what he's saying to Saul is, look, I am the living church. I am the church. And when you kill one of them, you are persecuting. You are, in a sense, attempting to kill me. You are persecuting me. Now, verse 6, Jesus doesn't waste a lot of time. Now, get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling, verse 7, with Saul stood there speechless, which, again, is probably a good response. They had heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. So they saw sort of what was going on, did not know exactly what was going on. Again, keep in mind, this was his posse. Like, they were going to kill some folk. And now they're having to walk him into the town. Verse 8, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So his posse leads him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and did not eat anything. So what God does is blinds Saul so that he can actually begin to see the world in his own life the way that God sees it. And it goes on uh, there uh, that God sent someone named Ananias to Saul to pray over him after a couple days of Saul literally fasting and praying to a God that he was literally committed to destroying this way, this way of Jesus He was on his way, on a mission to kill Christians, and now he's praying to this Jesus who he just spoke with. Let's jump down to verse 17, though. Then Ananias, this person that God had sent to go and be with Saul, went to the house where he was and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Immediately, something like scales that were covering his eyes fell from his eyes. And he could see again. He got up. And what was that first step that we just celebrated a minute ago? Was baptized. All right, so he's known Jesus for about three days now. And he says, I I," gets up, gets baptized right away. Verse 19. After taking some food, so after having lunch, he regained his strength. And then Saul spent several days with the disciples there in Damascus, 
Keep in mind, he was on his way to kill them. Those first couple meals are going to be awkward. Like, can you imagine sitting across from him? So like, how, how are you going to do it? You know, can you imagine like having to have lunch with the guy who was sent here to kill you? He stays with them for a few days. Then verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. A week prior, he's on his way to wiping Christians off the face of the earth. A week later, his eyes are opened and he's telling everyone around him about Jesus. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? The story is very significant because we see our story in Saul's story. It's easy to think that um, God sort of had to blind him to open his eyes, right? To look at that and go, okay, God literally had to put these sort of scales or whatever they were over his eyes so that when he opened them, he could actually see the world, that God sees it. But the truth is, Saul was already blind before this moment ever happened. He was already blind. Blinded by his own ambition. Blinded by his own rage. Blinded by his own sense of what is right and what is wrong. Blinded by career path ambition to be the top, the most famous one in all the religious elite in that day. He was already blinded by his limited vision of the world. And that story, that reality, I think is more true to our story than we might see at first glance. Is that so many of us, so many of us, our story starts with our own sense of blindness. The reason why it is so hard to see the world the way that God sees it is because we are blinded by so many other things. We already have scales on our eyes. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. For so, it's where our story starts, is that we are blinded by our own limited vision of the world. We suffer from a sort of self-induced blindness brought on by chronic distractions and preoccupations with the world the way that we see it. Okay, that's probably the smartest thing I'm going to say tonight, so let me say it again. We suffer, you and I suffer, from a self-induced sense of blindness brought on by chronic distractions and preoccupations with the world the way that we see it. We are blind, if we're being honest, by so many things. And some of them seem bad, and some of them don't seem bad, but all of them have the potential to keep us blind. One of the big ones, for, at least for me, maybe this is true for you, is that I am oftentimes blinded by my own pursuit of comfort in my life. I just want things a little easier. It doesn't have to be so, does it have to be so stressful? Why, why do I have to fight 1.9 million people just to go deposit my check at B of A? Like, why does it have to be so hard? And I think there's a desire in each of us to finally just be able to, like, exhale and it not be so intense in our lives, right? All the drama of relationships and work and school and all this sort of stuff. We just long for comfort. And so we are blinded by it. We pursue it in so many ways and so many silly things, right? None of them seem necessarily bad at the time, but added up, they can become a blindness that keeps us from seeing the world the way that God sees it. For some of us, that's a pursuit of wealth, or at least the dream of wealth. Or once we get a little bit, the way that we hold on to it so tightly can blind us, can it? We see it, don't we? 
We see it in like celebrity stories all the time. We see it with big, big, big corporations that suddenly show up bankrupt one morning. They were blinded by their own success, their own wealth. And it's so, we get so amazed, like, how could that happen? Well, because we do it. We do it all the time. We're either so obsessed with getting money or keeping our money that we can become blinded by it. Look, you may be blinded by your own career path and ambition, right? You, it's not a bad thing to want to do well, but like the way that you're going about it, I mean, it's like intense, and you're willing to do almost anything to rise to the top in your field. And what started out as being a way to sort of use your talents and gifts and abilities to make a difference in the world, you've become blinded by it. And it's somehow about something else, proving something to someone else, to everyone around you, maybe to yourself. It's so easy, isn't it, to get blinded. It's so easy for us to be blinded by the pursuit of a mate, marriage, him, her, we, we can literally become blinded by our pursuit to settle down. So much so that when you walk into a room like this, you have like that Terminator eye. Like you can, you can walk into the lobby and, and like you can sort of like tell like, okay, I'm going to um, terminate this person. I don't, but you know, you, you know what I mean? Like you know that, right? Or at least you've seen someone else. Like you can just tell like you're having a conversation with them. They're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you can just tell they got Terminator right. They're just sort of looking all up, scanning the room because you can be blinded by that. And I get it. Like, it's so hard when you see your friends all around you get married and how many more weddings do you have to go to and be in until it's yours. And isn't it true? You, you become so obsessed with that that you miss the things that are right in front of you, the things maybe that God actually wants you to see. This one's a no-brainer. I think you already know this one. We're blinded by our addictions. And those come in all kinds of different forms. Blinded by our addiction to food. Blinded by our addiction to pornography. Blinded by our addiction to smoking or drinking or whatever it is. And you figured out ways to sort of rationalize it or justify it. But my hunch is you spend more time managing it than you do free from it. If you're being honest. You sort of spend more time sort of making it work for, and at least this is true of me, you're trying to make it work and justify it, do all these sort of mental gymnastics to sort of make it okay. And we exhaust incredible energy and we stumble around in our addiction because we're blinded by it. We're blinded by it. And then it can be just like stupid small things, right? We're blinded by entertainment. Again, it's not that stuff's bad, but like from The Bachelor to Sports Center, and let's be honest, Sports Center is really no different than The Bachelor, just with less awkward kissing. But like, we get blinded by entertainment, and we just sort of want that to sort of wash over us and make the stress and anxiety and the hard, difficult things of life go away. And from Twitter to text messaging to Facebook to whatever it is, right? It's so easy, isn't it, to be blinded. And as we see from Saul's story and our own story, for many of us, we suffer from that sort of self-induced sense of blindness that's brought on by a chronic addiction to distractions and preoccupations of the world the way that we see it. And so maybe the best place for us to start tonight, for us to come to God with this tonight, is just to say, I I admit it, God, I'm blind. I I, I get it. I am blinded by these things. They're not all bad things, right? It's not what I'm saying. It's not like they're bad things. Don't go home and say, my pastor says I can't watch The Bachelor anymore. Like, well, maybe. No, but the the thing (laughs) is, They're not all bad things. Some of them are, some of them less so. The point is, is when they become all that you see, 
And that's the lens that you see the world through. It's going to be really hard to see the things that God sees. And so what we see in Saul's story is what we hope for and long for in ours, that literally God will allow the scales to fall off our eyes, that we would actually admit that we maybe, just maybe, are blinded by these things. Maybe you have more than what I mentioned here. That's the right place to start. It's, God, I'm blinded by these things. And when those scales begin to fall off and we begin to realize that that's not like the, all that there is to life and our world and what matters most, and we begin to see that there's actually more going on beneath the surface, it does actually change the way that we see the city or the way that we see our roommates or the way that we see our spouse, the way that we see our neighborhood, the way that we see our work, whatever it is, our resources, the way that you even see this church, right? Because it's so easy to even come into the space and only see this church through your lens of what it can do for you. And if you've been around here for like more than three weeks, you know that like we are, we expect folks to get involved in what God's doing here. Like we, we, we would hope that that would be part of your growth is that you actually get involved. And it's easy to kind of go to a church and just go, okay, what do you got for me? What do you got for me? And when we admit that, boy, that's our, our sort of preoccupation is our blindness and those scales begin to fall off, we begin to see things differently. And we open ourselves up to the possibility. We open our eyes up to the reality that we actually might see things the way that God does. That we actually might see things the way that God does. And what might be different about the way that we go about our days in our lives, if we were to see things the way that God does. That's what happens to Saul, but it doesn't stop there for Saul. Something very interesting, very powerful happens to him. Because if you remember from the text, it says that these scales fell off of his eyes, and he could finally sort of, you know, now see, and he grabs lunch, and then the text says that he goes out and preaches when? At once. At once. So what we see with Saul is not like, okay, so now his eyes are open. He realizes that he now sees his life the way that God sees it. He sees sort of that there's a sort of purpose. There's this bigger thing in front of him. And then he goes and puts together his PowerPoint. No. He sees this thing and he goes, okay, I need to put it, I, I probably should need to put together like a good business plan and figure out like, what, what, what am I, stump, like, what are my talking points here? Because, you know, I, like a week ago, I was going to kill these people. So maybe I do any business cards? How do you let someone know you're not there to kill them, right? Like what, you know, does he need a PR person? Like does he, he doesn't waste any time sort of trying to figure out the big picture of what he's supposed to do next. Do you know what he does? He just goes to work at once. He sees the world the way that God sees it. He, it's, his eyes are literally open. He sees his life the way that God sees it. He goes, okay, well, I got to do something. I got to do something. I have to do something. Because for, for many of us, I mean, that is the next step. So we would see the world the way that God sees it, and we would do something about it. That's what everyday influencers do. We see the world the way that God sees it, and we do what we can do. It's that simple. We see the world the way that God sees it. We like, start our day expecting to see the world the way that God sees it. And then we say, like Saul, like Paul, okay, what can I do? God, what can I do? If, if this is the world the way that you see it, what, what can I do here? How can I be involved? How can I be a part? What can I do? Because the tricky thing is for many of us, uh, when we push through sort of our own self-induced blindness, then there's another thing we have to push through, which is true for almost every one of us, is our own self-induced paralysis. Is that for many of us, we have sort of this negative reaction to positive action. That sounded a little Dr. Phil, but play it out. We have a negative reaction to positive action in our lives. This is why you start so many diets. 
You have great intentions. You want to do it. But when it gets hard and you actually have to make sacrifices, right, we have a negative reaction to that. It's why when you sign up for a gym, you expect sort of like everything to change that day. You expect like, don't I lose 15 pounds for signing up? Like this is, then you actually have to go there and it's hard work. And we have a negative reaction to positive action in our lives. The same is true when we see things the way that God sees them. When we look at our city and we see, oh, wow. Wow, God, you've put this thing right in front of me. And you look at it and go, well, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? What, what can I do? If I get involved in that, that's going to that's gonna be hard. That's going to take, take some time and probably some money. And I just don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. But you know what? Someone should do something about that. And for so many of us, that, and at least this is true of me, I'll see something and I'll go, oh, that's really sad. And I'll get a glimpse of what God sees. Oh, that's really intense. Or wow, that's what's going on beneath the surface. Someone really should talk to that person. Someone really should do something about that. Maybe, just maybe, the reason God is allowing you to see things the way that he sees them is so that you would actually do something. And that you would respond to God and actually do something. We have such a negative reaction to positive action in our life, to actually doing the thing that God has put in front of us to do. Because it is hard. And it, or it can be overwhelming, right? Like you look at, you watch the news or you see what goes on in the world, you're like, oh my gosh, there's like whole continents that are starving right now. How, what am I, that's really, what, what do I do? It's too much. And so you sort of watch and that's worse because now you've seen what God sees. You know it breaks his heart and you do nothing about it. And now you know, and that's like worse. It'd be better if you wouldn't have seen it. And sometimes you can look at it and be so overwhelmed. You just go, I, I can't do all of that. So I guess I can't do anything. I love what one of my old bosses used to say, what you want to do for all, you can do for some. Like what we want to do for everyone, what we wish we could do for all of them, we can actually do for one. We can actually do for one. Like you look at Chicago Public School System, and I know this because our son started kindergarten this past week, right? We're in it with CPS and trying to work out what it means to raise kids here in the city. And I'd encourage every single one of you who are parents or who are thinking about having kids, like, it is real. You need God's help and assistance to make it work in the city. But it is worth it because we need you in this city. And we need your kids and we need families in this city and in this church. And so we've been facing it for the last six months, Chicago public school system. And you can look at a problem like that and go, I can't have so many kids. That's, that's so, there's so much in debt. I'm not going to knock on Mayor Emanuel's door. No way. It's already been, you know, he's already had 100 days. I don't know, I'm not going to tell him what to do. Like, this is too, it's too overwhelming. And you're right. You're probably not going to solve the situation, the problem with CPS. You're, you are probably not going to do that. But you know what you can do? You can read to a student at Brown Elementary for 30 minutes a week. What you wish you could do for all, you can actually do for one. You can look at the incredible, intense reality of what it means to be homeless in our city and the numbers of children and families that are homeless right now tonight in our city and it's overwhelming isn't it if you actually stop and see what God sees it's overwhelming and so it'd be so easy to go I don't I can't how can I you know what you can do you can get involved with one of our partners at Breakthrough Urban Ministries go serve a meal Breakthrough does one of the I mean, they do incredible 
work here in the city. Incredible, holistic work with those who are under-resourced and overlooked in our city. And a bunch of us here from Soul City have gone, you, go, you like cut potatoes. You, you make a really nice meal and you serve it with dignity to folks who are overlooked and over-resourced, under-resourced in our city. It's a small thing, but it's something. And I think that's what it takes. That's what God's inviting us to do is to see the world the way that he sees it and then to do whatever we can do, whatever God puts in front of you. Let's take work, right? For those of you who are going to work tomorrow. You know, like, as, like you know, there are people at work that you don't want to see fully. You don't want to see it all. They just bother you. They're hard. They're just angry all the time or whatever. They're just annoying. They're awkward, whatever it is in your opinion. What would it look like for you tomorrow to say, okay, God, help me to see what you see in this person and to do what I can do? What would it look like? Like, I want you to think about that person because you know who they are. And what's funny is someone's thinking about you right now probably too. (laughs) Maybe it means tomorrow, for you to see them, you see there's probably a deeper story behind this person's anger. There's probably several years or layers of rejection that goes before this day. And we're dealing with a lot more here than just this transaction, this interaction between us. And so maybe one of the things you can do is just encourage, thank them. Actually, go to lunch, hear their story a little bit. Instead of standing on the sidelines and judging and joking with everyone else at work, you actually do something. You can do that tomorrow. You can do that tomorrow. For those of you who are in, you know, whatever, school, whatever it is, like you can look at folks that you live with, your roommates, right? You can look at that whole situation. So for those of you who are married, what would it look like for you to, tonight, for those of you who are married, to say, okay, God, help me to see my spouse like you see them and to do what I can, whatever it is that I can do based on what you see. Instead of just having to win every fight, instead of having to always be right, what would it look like for you to actually serve them tonight? To go out of your way to encourage them. Jeannie talked a lot about this last week. To use your words to be a gift. What if you actually saw them the way that God sees them? The way that you saw them on that wedding day? What do you think might change in your marriage tonight? To see them the way that God sees them. And to do it, you can do. Whatever that may look like. I told you at the beginning that I wanted to share with you a really powerful prayer. A prayer that is very simple, but I think can change the trajectory of your day, and I mean this when I say it, potentially your life. It's a dangerous prayer. But it's a prayer I want to ask each of us to pray this week. And here's the cool thing. Those of you who aren't Christians, and the whole prayer thing is kind of like new or different to you, or you're not quite sure how to do it, I'm going to give you like the exact words that you can say. We're going to make it as easy as possible. And this is one of those prayers that, again, you may not be in a relationship with God. This is a prayer you can actually pray and see God answer in your life. Crazy thought. For those of us who would call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, this is a prayer we're going to commit to praying this week, okay? The prayer is this. I want to put it up on the screen. God, help me today to see what you see and to do what I can do. Well, that's, that, I mean, that, that's simple. That has huge implications. God, help me today to see what you see and to do what I can do. Just to make sure you got that, I'm going to have you repeat that with me. Let's say it together. God, help me today to see what you see and to do what I can do. 
to see what God sees, to see the world, to see your work, to see your relationships, to see this city, to see everything around you. When you're driving to work or riding the train or riding the bus or wherever it is, God, help me just to see. Help me just to see. What do I need to see here that you see? Give me your eyes. And then, God, what can I do? It's a simple prayer. When you roll out of bed tomorrow, how about this? When you head home tonight or out to dinner or wherever it is you're going next, it's a very simple prayer that every one of us can pray. God, help me today to see what you see and to do what I can do. And God will, I, listen, God will move. God will prompt and provide you with opportunities to respond, to see, and to do. So I want to spend some time with us praying right now. The band's going to come up. We're going to spend some time worshiping together. But before they do, or as they do, I should say, what might actually help for us to see things the way that God sees them is for you to close your eyes, to sort of free yourself from any distraction. To free yourself from any distraction. And maybe just walk through that list that I mentioned earlier of some of the ways that we are blinded. The things that keep us from seeing God and seeing the things that he sees. Any one of those things. And what might help right now as you're sort of praying and thinking through that is just to start naming those to God. God, I... If I'm being honest, I think I have scales in my eyes when it comes to this. I'm blinded by this comfort, or I'm blinded by this addiction, and I want to see what you see. So close your eyes, sort of drown out anything else around you, and let that start your prayer right now. God, here's where I think I'm blinded. Here's where I'm blinded and limited and caught up by my self-induced blindness, brought on by my own preoccupations and distractions with the world the way I see it. And here's what it is. Just name it to him right now. That pursuit of a relationship. That career path. Whatever it is, just say it. God, I don't want to be blinded by this anymore. I want to see what you see. I want to see what you see, God, when you see me. And when you see the world. And so to pray that out loud to God right now. To say it or even in your heart and your head right now to him. And then I'd ask you today, we're going to make it as simple as possible. I'd ask you to repeat this prayer after me. God, help me to see what you see. So, yeah, so out loud. I'm going to have you repeat this out loud. God, help me to see what you see. And to do what I can do. God, that's our prayer to you tonight. We ask you to help us see what you see and to do what we can do. And God, when we do, see with your eyes and serve with your hands. We literally see the world change in small but real ways around us. God, I know you are not short for opportunities. You are not short for vision for our life, God. You do not suffer from a lack of great ideas of how to redeem the world, God. You know exactly how this world is changed and redeemed through your son, Jesus Christ, and through the movement of these people who have committed their lives to him, to you. And so, God, we pray that that would be true of us tonight, throughout the course of this week that we would see the things that you see, including ourselves, including our lives, and that we would do what only we can do in the life that you've given us, in the days that you've given us. God, may that be true of me and every one of us gathered here today. We pray this in your name. Amen.